Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Arms now wide. If we're going to fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're going to stand, we stand as giants. If we're going to walk, we walk as lions. Good Monday morning to you. It is the 25th of July, 2022. I'm Carmen LaBerge. Um, welcome. For those of you who maybe never joined us before, we are seeking to bring the mind of Christ to bear on the issues of the day. So we look at the headline news and we bring what God has said about these things um, pressing in upon us. So welcome to the conversation. You can always uh, listen again or share what you hear with others. It's available all the time via the podcast. That's also the place where you can grab the show notes. So any reference that I make during the program or any guest that we have on, all of that is linked in the notes in the podcast, which you can get at MyFaithRadio.com. That's also where you can sign up for the uh, Growing Your Faith verse of the day. Today's verse of the day, Matthew 7, 7 to 8. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks receives everyone who seeks finds and to everyone who knocks the door will be opened. Now, I confess that I um, I know that from uh, the new international version. So when I read that, I have to kind of slow down because that's. Uh, it's it's coming out of a different version than I'm familiar with. So here's the one that I know, uh, you know, sort of the word written upon my heart. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So are you knocking today? Are you making your uh, concerns known to the Lord? Are you asking God for the things that uh, not only you desire, but are you asking for those things that you know God desires? Are you asking God to reveal to you the things that he desires? Are you seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, recognizing that then all these things will be added unto you? And are you persisting in prayer? I mean, those are some of the questions. Like if you're uh, you're maybe standing at a roadblock in your life, you feel like there's um, something that's closed off. Are you knocking? Are you knocking on the door? And are you know you you say unto the Lord, I am. Um, I don't know why this barrier is here. And maybe the Lord's going to say because the open door is behind you, or the open door is to the right or the left. Because I'm not opening that door. I mean, the door is you know. So sometimes we're um, not willing to turn to the way in which uh, God is leading and has opened before us. And so that is um, that's an exercise in prayer as well. I am praying today for the Schmidt family and those who know and love them. Uh, You may have heard this story um, praying today for the people of Cedar Falls where this Schmidt family um, lived. Their family was uh, camping together and three members of their family were shot and killed um, in in an Iowa State Park. I just want to lift this up to you and have each and every one of us lift up this sweet family and um, particularly their nine-year-old son, who is the lone survivor of this event, um, their extended family, their church family, their community, on and on and on. 
um, and the family of the shooter, um, this 23-year-old young man who whatever was going on with him, you know, he he determined to kill other people before he took his own life. There is um, there's a lot of weightiness out there in the world, and I don't want us to be living in fear, but I do want us to be living in a sober recognition of the days in which we live and going before the Lord ardently in prayer. Um, prayer is not nothing. Prayer is powerful, um, and God is good. So let us be going before him today. Hey, first up this morning, we're going to have a conversation with our friend Dave Buring from Lion Share. We're going to talk about glorifying God in the midst of all the circumstances of life. Again, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. In a recent episode of uh, Breakpoint, we heard our friend John Stone Street talk about the need for Christians to be recatechized. And I know that a lot of people hear that word and they're like, what does that mean? What, um, what does it mean to be catechized? What does it mean to be taught the things of the faith? And for those of us who um, grew up in particular versions and varieties of the church. We remember our catechetical instruction. We remember the catechisms. And so as we welcome Dave Buring this morning to Mornings with Carmen, you can find him at lionshare.org. I thought I would do this. Can I talk to 12-year-old Dave for a moment? Uh, I want to go back and just ask, Dave, what is the chief end of man? Carmen, that would be to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now, for those of us who were catechized, like, we know that. We we could hear that question pretty much in any environment, and our brain would click into gear, and we would say, <laughs> oh, the chief end of man, that is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I heard some friends once um, uh, kind of reduce that to to cause God joy, that my mm. chief end is to cause God joy, to mm. bring God joy Talk with us about, though, um, this this reality that glorifying God is is the primary calling of the Christian. Yeah, I, I January of of 1998, that catechism moment kind of found a, a broader space in my own heart, Carmen, of just realizing that this really is got to be, if I can say it that way, in my own life, the primary heartbeat is day in and day out is how do I glorify the name of Jesus? And glorifying God, in a practical way, it can mean making God beautiful. It's making God attractive. It's, It's allowing people to see God through our lives. God himself is massively attractive, but it gets bogged down when, when he's expressed through people. I have found over the years that more people don't want to follow Jesus because of their interactions with Christians than anything else. And this should not be. This should not be. God desires to glorify his name through our lives. Jesus said in John 17, 4, I've glorified you, he's speaking to the Father, I've glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So that's obviously one of the ways that we can glorify him is being obedient to the mission that God has put you on in life. 
But the weight of this, Carmen, I think is so important for us to catch, particularly in the day that we're living in. When you talk about the weight of it, um, the word weight actually has meaning uh, in terms of the word glory. Uh, I'm thinking mm-hmm. here of um, of the weight of glory that C.S. Lewis talks about. When you talk about mm-hmm. um, the weight of this, we are talking about, um, I mean, I think a lot of people don't, don't reflect on this, don't consider this, because it's such a big topic, and it yeah. is it is an overwhelming topic because the weight of God's glory, I mean, the edge of his robe is, is so big. It fills the temple. Like I, yeah. um, he's, he's so great and magnificent and glorious and beautiful and awe inspiring, um, that it's, I can't take it all in. And so maybe I just don't bother taking much of it in at all. Yeah, no, that's a great way of, Kind of explaining why we are where we are today with this. It's so one of the things that might be helpful for people to know is that in Jesus's time, the people's, you know, person's reputation and the authority that they carried were directly connected to their name. So if they heard your last name or my last name, there was an immediate connection to that person's reputation. We're not far off from that today, but it just doesn't have the same heft. Um, so this dealt with your character your words, your actions, the way you interact with people, your business dealings, that it either significantly enhanced your reputation and your name, or it severely damaged it. it but, but at that time, it was inseparable, the person's name and reputation. So when we, when we translate this, for example, to one of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, for most of us, we reduce this to not using God's name as a swear word, which, of course, is not a good thing to do. But it's there's way more to it, Carmen. The, the word vain, which is used a couple times in that passage, is the Hebrew word that means emptiness, vanity, or falsehood. So it translates to mean when we live in a way that distorts, makes empty or false who God really is and what he's like— it results in us giving God's name a bad reputation. Like that's a that's a weighty thing. Leviticus says, "You shall not swear by name my name falsely." So profane the name of the Lord, and profane there means to dilute, pollute, desecrate, and here's a big one: to make it common and to violate the honor of. So the people of God need to be careful to not profane or dishonor the Lord's name and reputation because it maligns him and misrepresents him. So it's huge. And again, I agree with you. We don't often want to deal with this because it's too weighty, but we've got to let it get on us a bit so it changes our hearts. All right. We're going to talk with Dave um, in just a moment about how we can elevate God's name and reputation through our lives in the world today. So how do we do that? How do we glorify God. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. Dave Burring is here with us, and we'll be right back. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, It happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, 
Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Give me faith alive, Picking up on our conversation about the glory of God and glorifying God, it is our chief end to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So how do we functionally do that? We're talking with Dave Buring from lionshare.org. Dave, how how can we elevate God's name and reputation through our lives in the world today? Yeah, one of the scriptures that always comes to my mind is 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, pretty broad category there, do all to the glory of God. So it's living our lives day in and day out for his glory. And I like the best capture I have of this is from a pastor in Minnesota, Leith Anderson, who says this, living to the glory of God means living in such a way that we enhance the reputation of God in the eyes of others. So in other words, again, we can't do anything to enhance God. He's awesome. He's complete in himself. However, the way that we live our lives can actually cause somebody to see God different, to make him attractive to us, to make them desire him more. And so I think of things, Carmen, like, again, going into our relationships, the way we relate to people, when you leave that conversation, like, let me make this real practical. I'm I'm heading out on vacation this summer, and I have reserved a vehicle from a particular company that is um, I've used before, and I just got a note that I'm not able to use this car. It's a person's car, a private car, a company that used for this. I, I planned it three months ago, and now 12 days before I leave, they tell me I can't use it. And prices have gone up like double. And so I'm having to pause and say, okay, God, what's more important than me getting the vehicle that my wife and I need for three weeks that I planned ahead of time to get? What's more important here is the way I relate to this person. Because I'm either going to enhance the reputation of God in their eyes or I'm not. And it means I might have to have a hard conversation because they're letting down their end of the bargain here. And I can do that, but the way I do it does not have to put them in a bad place in how I express things to them. doesn't mean I make them feel less. It means how do I approach them in a way that even at the end of that conversation, if it doesn't end well, that there's still an enhancing of God's reputation and how I related to them. That's where rubber meets the road. Yeah, that is so helpful. Um, You make me mindful, Dave, of... Uh, you know, being in a uh, protracted legal um, relationship, Mm -hmm. I'll use it Mm -hmm. that way. And just recognizing that, you know, over the years that we've been engaged in this, a huge part of the conversation has been, okay, many, many, many of the people involved at different layers of this are not Christians, um, Mm -hmm. or at least not expressly so. And so what does it look like for us to be in this challenging um, time, uh, but but being present in each and every one of those meetings, in everything that we say and everything that we do as, you know, as everything about your life is examined under a microscope, yeah. um, you know, it, it, are we going to be glorifying God? Is it going to enhance God's reputation at the end of the day, no matter the outcome 
um, are the people involved going to be able to say, okay, those Christians, they're different. Like that yeah. is something different going on there. I know. And and it, and I think we're both acknowledging it's not easy. It doesn't make it easy. But if that can be part of the way that we handle, particularly our relationships and realize mm-hmm. that, hey, some relationships, they might say, you know what, I just, I've been really disappointed with kind of the end result of this task or this legal outcome or whatever. So I don't know that I'll be in touch. That's, I get that. However, what did we leave in that Mm -hmm. situation? Of course, we're going to screw things up. And when we do, we need to humble ourselves and say, hey, please forgive me. I said things I shouldn't have said. Of course, that's the, that God can also be glorified in our humility. And so, but again, just getting it on our radar that, I guess a broad way of saying this is we are his ambassadors. Like mm-hmm. like like on this planet there's no other louder voices than ours. And because we're identifying with Jesus, so therefore as his ambassadors, we've got to rep- recognize that God's reputation is something that we carry into everything we do. Yeah, you'll like this language, Dave. We use it a lot here. Um we talk about being representatives of Christ, but when I say that, I I change the way we say the word, and I talk about re-presenting Christ. Hmm. That that's what we're out there doing. We are re-presenting Christ to a world that um, really knows him not. All right, I'd love for you to share with us um, the impact of living a life through the, through the grid of glorifying God. How does, how does this impact us? Uh, impact me? Like if I'm glorifying God actively seeking to make him known and, um, and to do so in a way that's, that's honest and, and righteous, like what, how does that impact me? Yeah, I'll give you a couple of things here. Um, one of the ones that for me, that this shaded very different as I saw this was evangelism. So I, right out of high school, I joined an organization called Youth of the Mission, YWAM. It's a missionary organization. And so from 18 to 25, I was there and you learn to share your faith and you learn, you know, that Jesus has asked us to win people to him, that you don't want to see people spending an eternity away from God. That, I mean, and there was like five, six, seven really good reasons of why to share your faith. This one run through the glory of God changed everything for me, Carmen, because the primary purpose of evangelism is to reconcile people to God. Why? Not just so they don't spend an eternity away from him, not so that they don't live an abundant life. Yes, those things are true, but there's something bigger. And that is that they might bring God glory through their lives. In other words, God made that person in your life that you know today that does not yet know Jesus, but they are only in portion glorifying God right now to the degree that they could. And when we win them to Jesus and he comes and fills their lives and the spirit of God then moves through their gifts and through their calling and through who God's made them to be, they can glorify God to the fullest. Mm. And so evangelism really is not just about winning people to Jesus. It's about bringing glory to God through those people. See, that's a game changer, you know, in how we look at that thing. I think another thing is that prayer of Jesus in John 17, 4, where, you know, I've accomplished the work that you've given me to do. Are we looking at where God's placed us in society and the work that we are doing? 
are we is our aim to finish it well whether it's the work that day whether it's the work that week or that month or before you're on vacation or whatever the case may be are we working in that way as a guy that you know hit 63 here this month it's like i'm looking at god i want to finish my life well and i want i want to glorify you through my life i think that's huge and and i'll throw one more at you i think like I'm sure Carmen, you've been to tons of unity events and those are always good events in the body of Christ. But, but the disappointing thing is they're events. They don't usually translate Mm. into kind of the whole community walking that way. Now there is exceptions to that, which I rejoice in, but I think the way that we will really come to a point of unity in the body of Christ is when all of us as followers of disciples of Jesus are committed first, first, to God being glorified, then all barriers between denominations, all barriers between Christians begin to fall down because in the end, we all default to, does this bring God glory? God first. I mean, I I think that brings the the first and greatest commandment immediately to mind, like God first. Mm -hmm. It also brings to mind um, like the final conversation that we're aware of between Jesus and Peter on the beach, you know, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Mm-hmm. You know, yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that the question there is, you know, do you love me first? Do you, like, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so, um, so helpful. So good, Dave, as always, um, we will visit with you when you're back from vacation. That's Dave Buring from lionshare.org. How are you going to glorify God today? Um, whatever you eat or you drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. We'll be right back. Well, the Pope is in Canada set to offer apologies to indigenous groups of people. Um, He began this historic visit on Sunday. His plan is to apologize to indigenous peoples for abuses um, by missionaries at residential schools across, um, across Canada, a key step in the Catholic Church's effort to reconcile with Native communities and begin the healing process or continue the healing process from generations of, of trauma. Um, and it reminds me this, this need that we have, um, even if it is not a sin for which we are personally responsible, acknowledging sins done in the past by some group that, you know, of which we are now the contemporary representative um, no, it does not resolve what happened. No, it does not make up for what happened. No, there's no, there's really no way to make, quote unquote, make it better. But there is something important about confessing the reality of sin perpetrated against a group of people, individuals from a group of people. And so, um, Let's just be acknowledging that that's what's happening. Um, this penitential pilgrimage, um, does it, you know, quote unquote, atone for sin? No, Christ alone atones for sin. Um, but there are times when there has been such a gross misrepresentation of Christ by the church 
that um, somehow, some way, we have to publicly say so in order to regain some credibility, right, to move forward. Um, And so let's be confessing. Let's be penitential. Let's understand what atonement is and what it is not um, and who accomplishes it. Um, And yes, this leads to conversations about the the role of the Pope and Catholicism and all of that. And I get that. So maybe set those things aside long enough to think about the power and the role of confession. And maybe, you know, if there's a people group out there that, you know, you know that the group that you now are a contemporary representative of, um, you know, those who were like you before sinned against those who were like them before. What might a conversation that just starts like that be? Like, hey, I'm, I now, I recognize I now represent um, the people who in the past historically sinned against the people who are like you, the, the group you now represent. Can we talk about that? Can we talk about that? So uh, just, a, just a challenge lifted up by the headline that the, the Pope is in Canada. All right, Adam Carrington is going to join us next. We're going to talk across a range of headlines, particularly in relationship to what's going on across the country uh, at the intersection of religious liberty and um, politics, what's going on, uh, you know, what get, maybe we can get an update on, you know, those attacks on churches and pro-life pregnancy centers since the Supreme Court decision in the Dobbs case. All of that up next with our friend Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Joining us again today is our friend Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. Hey, Adam, good morning. Good morning, Carmen. Hope you're all doing well. Yes, I'm um, I'm running camp this week for my grandchildren. So, yeah. <laughs> that sounds like fun and exhausting. <laughs> There's a lot of people in bunk beds right now. That's all I have to say. Um, so uh, could you give us an update, what you know in terms of an update on churches and pro-life pregnancy centers um, we, we heard, you know, so many uh, stories about attacks following, leading up to and then following the Supreme Court's decision in the Dobbs case overturning Roe v. Wade. You have an update on that for us? Yeah, uh, there's been a, uh, uh, obviously there were dozens of these that continued. And the the story is uh, they've they have continued to go on. And beyond that, there there's been a number of arrests made in uh, particular ones, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, across the country. So we're starting to at least get the the movement toward trying to hold some people accountable for these. Um, you know, at the at the same time, you know, like and one that I think I was particularly bothered by was uh, St. Coleman's Catholic Church. That is a historic building in West Virginia. I, I grew up not far from West Virginia. That was burned to the ground right after the Dobbs decision came out. So there are still some that have not been found. Um, the uh, if anyone saw about the Crisis Pregnancy Center in near Buffalo, New York, uh, they have not found any one for who burned it to the ground. But at least we're starting to see some people brought to justice. Uh, I wish we saw more outrage about it, 
in fact, the fact we're needing to update it and that it's not a constant news item across papers, local and national, is troubling and, and bothering. And I think we were we we need to rev up for this this kind of violence could continue. Um, a Catholic agency put out that there's really been close to a hundred incidents like this since the year 2000, not all related to abortion, but related to a anger and 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 animus toward uh, religious people. So um, you know, some good news in that they're getting some people. Um, bad news in that we have to give these 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 kinds of updates that it's not something that is on the national consciousness right now all right i want to stick on this um a little bit on this theme and lift up to you maybe this conversation uh in the new york times there's an opinion piece by linda greenhouse you and i have both read um religious doctrine not the constitution drove the dobbs decision I'd love for you to um, present both what Linda Greenhouse presents and then your own reaction to it. Yeah, I, you know, you always want to give an article the benefit of the doubt, even when you disagree with it. You always want to be charitable and state their case as best they can. I, I think that what Greenhouse was was saying was. I'm going to say why I think that the reasons given by the justices about the nature of life or about history, text, and tradition as far as the right to an abortion not being there, as far as uh, uh, precedent and whether one should follow it, she thought that all of those arguments were wrong and tried to say, you know, laid out why. So then she said, well, if all of the arguments that I that I think that they were making, I think were were wrong, what was left? And she says that the unstated position was not all the things that were written, but that it must be that all of the justices that voted for it were religious, Uh, four of them, Roman Catholic, one uh, Episcopalian. And so therefore, that must have been what really drove the opinion. And when I say be charitable, I think that's a pretty weak argument. It's a pretty weak argument to say, well, I disagree with the opinions they gave. So therefore, underneath, there must be this lurking position, which there really isn't any hard evidence for in the opinions themselves, in the kind of opinions that these justices have signed on to or written. And I think that she's mistaken in how strong Alito's opinion was on what he did say was the basis of his opinion, that there is a lot of evidence, regardless of one's religious belief, to say that there isn't anything in the text or our history of the country to say that abortion was a right the Constitution had in mind, or to say that um, uh, respecting life and saying that states can pass laws respecting the life of the unborn isn't a question that there are biological reasons to think so, human and natural law reasons. I mean, when I was reading it, I was thinking about this group of some people know it called secular pro-life, people Mm, that are not religious. Yeah. Yeah, people that are not religious, but believe that life begins at conception and have very good reasons for doing so. I mean, I I think the religious reasons are absolutely right, too. Uh, God is the author of both reasons. Uh, But uh, uh, so I I found the piece, you know, I've read some some pro-choice arguments that I said, you know, I don't agree, but 
I see why you're making the point you're making. I see some strong arguments there. Um, th- this one seemed a lot of, I-, I have a problem with religious people. I have a problem with a, 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 the pro-life movement and not the strong arguments that need to come with articulating why we should agree with you. So that's one of the reasons that I wanted to lift it up because I think she actually makes, there's a, there's an honesty to what she's saying um, that I actually think is helpful because this is the problem that a lot of people have with the Dobbs decision. They are, they're not mad at, uh, at the reality that this is um, against natural law that what they don't like is that it presses upon them morally this is i mean she's resisting the same thing i think that the culture that others in the culture are resisting they don't like that there is uh, there is a god and he is the author of life and when you take the life of another person you have you have committed a moral harm not just a I mean, you, not just against God, but against yourself and against people in general. Like the this is an effort, I think, to escape the moral harm component being done by those who are not only advocating for abortion, but performing them. Yeah, I, I think that you make two really good points there about our natural conscience that is there, whether we acknowledge it or not. And one is if you go back to the Garden of Eden, what does the serpent tempt Eve and, and Adam with, you shall be like God. That's become mm-hmm. a temptation for all of us and is a basis for, if not all, then most of our sins, the desire that we be God and God not be, and kicking and screaming against that, um, against God's lordship, rather than humbly submitting and seeing our happiness and good in it. And the other is is like it, that the image of God resides in us. So for us, you know, that's not loving God. That's that half of the law. The other half of the law is not loving neighbor, but neighbor contains the image of God. And there's something where when our desire to be godlike but but sinful in that godlikeness destroys what is of the image of God, you have a kind of complete transgression of the law, and therefore, because we were made to follow that law, because we were made to follow that God, a searing or not a searing but a a a a ripping of that conscience a troubling of that conscience even when we won't acknowledge why that's the case i think that's 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 very perceptive that's what it feels like to me so um i'm I'm glad that that lines up with you know what you're thinking about as well again if you guys are listening right now and you're wondering hey where can i uh where can i access that piece from the new york times that Adam Carrington and Carmen are talking about. Uh, You can find it in the show notes, which are going to be posted at MyFaithRadio.com when the podcast from this program goes up just a little later this morning. Adam and I are going to continue our conversation here in just a moment. He's going to talk with us about a bill passed by the House of Representatives codifying the Supreme Court's redefinition of marriage in the Obergefell case, which you will remember from a handful of years ago. Um, He's going to share with us what he expects to happen in the Senate and how Christians like you and me should respond. We're talking with Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio.
Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show featured on the Faith Radio Network. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share at MyFaithRadio.com. My guess is you spend a fair amount of time on social media. So where do you spend your time? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube? Well, have you followed or liked Faith Radio on those platforms? I would invite you to do so. I'm there as well. If you want to check out uh, my personal pages, you could connect with me individually. We would love to have you uh, use the resources that we have produced and are creating and posting on social media for you to share with others. We got all kinds of stuff from graphics to, you know, Bible verses. I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff. Go check it out on your social media. Connect with us on Faith Radio's social media. And, you know, let's get the word out to others. All right. Back to the show. Again, thanks for listening. Love connecting with you at MyFaithRadio.com. What is marriage? Who gets to define it? What does it mean for marriage to be in held in honor among us all? What does it mean to keep the marriage bed Um, holy and sanctified? How does the United States of America define marriage? What are the conversations about that in the culture today? We're talking with Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. Adam, um, tell us about the bill passed by the House of Representatives um, and what you uh, see going forward in the Senate and then maybe how we should respond as Christians in the culture. Right. The the bill that was passed was in reaction to the Dobbs decision, actually, and particularly the argument that if they're going to overturn Roe v. Wade, what else, what other precedents might they revisit? And some have said they might revisit the same-sex marriage decision in Obergefell. One justice, Justice Thomas, uh, implied or said that maybe we should redo that. I, I will say I don't think that's going to happen, at least not in the near future, maybe uh, as time goes forward. But you just don't have the same active opposition to Obergefell that you had to row. But um, I think going forward, I'll say the chances for the bill I would put at a maybe 50-50, probably a little less than that. It passed the House, Carmen, as you said. The Senate, I'm not sure if they're going to get enough votes to overcome a filibuster. I think they would have enough to pass it if they just did a straight up and down vote. But I would put it at most at 50-50. I might put it actually a little less if I was really, really trying to think about it. And I think the way that Christians should think about it is um, that there's some there's some old problems that don't need to be let go and there's some new problems that don't need to be created by the bill. Um, I'll say that one of the new problems, before I get to the old, is this bill would require perfect reciprocity of marriage licenses across all states. So whatever the marriage laws are in any one state, if you get married there, you can go and be considered married elsewhere. That could be a problem as the unfolding of this kind of sexual revolution continues. And will we have states that recognize other unbiblical forms of marriage, um, throuples or, 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 or bigamy or, or uh, just fill in the blank of the other kinds? That would be, I think, a new problem. But I think the old problem is, regardless of what the court does, regardless of what that has as an effect on the law of the land, that there still is a place for Christians to make the case lovingly 
charitably uh, respecting the humanity of all, but still saying that God created human beings, male and female, that um, marriage biblically and according to natural law is a union between a man and a woman, and that the reason that the state is interested in that relationship politically is not a question of who one loves and how one loves someone else, but it is a question of um, society being built around the union of families and families that can have children, and that that's why the state is interested in this union. And I think making that case, even if um, an immediate re-realization of it as the sole norm is not imminent, is is important enough to try to maintain and still make even if 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 the fight doesn't seem like a winning one right now okay you just made an interesting point um adam that i don't i don't want people to miss and and then i want to point to and say why aren't we making this argument in the culture so if the state has an interest in marriage because the state has an interest in families because the state has an interest in children then the state has an interest in not having abortion be I'm not saying that it should be you know illegal under every circumstance I you know but I do do you see where I'm driving like why are we not making the argument that the state has an interest in people having babies and not mm. having millions of Americans being aborted every year why why are why is that case not being made that's a good case I, I, I wrote at least indirectly about this in a, a National Review article recently where there was a, a Democrat, more Democrat or pro-choice uh, governors and, and, and legislatures saying, well, we may reverse the economic trend of people fleeing to red states because we'll have permissive abortion laws. And that's economically good because children are economically a deterrent. They cost money, et cetera, et cetera. And I thought that was not only dehumanizing to the child, but um, denying uh, women, turning women into just economic outputs, <laughs> uh, denying that they that their full personhood as as mothers, as members of families, as members of uh, churches and other organizations, and I think that that's a little bit of of what, where we're getting things messed up here is we should be seeing the rate the the making and raising of children in stable. Uh, um, two-parent, biological parent homes as a great contribution to our society, as a necessary contribution to creating and raising the next generation of citizens. And instead, a lot of times we see, it seems like we put, we see it as a nuisance that drives down our ability to have recreation or, or other, or, or good economic outputs. And I think that's just a poor awful actually way of looking at uh, uh, what human life is about, what we're supposed to be doing here on earth with the creation mandate to be fruitful and multiply. And it's, it's um, it, we need, we need not just a change in our laws. We need a change in our hearts is I think what that shows, especially the leadership that is driving a lot of these policies. Yeah, that's so good. All right. You guys should check out um, Adam's piece at nationalreview.com. Abortion laws shouldn't reduce persons to their economic output. That is excellent. All right, we got a couple of minutes for you to brief us in on what we need to know about the new electoral reform unveiled late last week by Senators Collins and Manchin. 
Yeah, I, I think I think this is a good bill because there was confusion about the Electoral Count Act of 1887 that was supposed to set the rules for why or how we how Congress counts the electoral votes. And with the 2020 disputed election, those uh, vague and, and, and inconsistent parts really caused additional bitterness, acrimony and confusion. And so all this law is trying to do, it's a bipartisan bill, is clarify that process so when we have another really contentious presidential race we don't have the added confusion and partisan rankering over the process so it's going to clarify the vice president's role if it gets passed saying he's merely counting the votes so you don't have a vice president harris having a substantive say in her own re-election uh, you're going to have a change in how uh, house and senate members can object to have a problem with the results to make it so one lone House and Senate member can't take over the process. There needs to be about 20% of the bodies. And it's going to clarify who can send electors from a state so you don't have the prospect of these competing slates of electors claiming to be the legitimate ones from the state. And again, hopefully this moves us toward debating not the process that we can agree on the process and the rules to the process and get back to just debating what would be best for the country, who would be best to lead the country, and and try to work out those questions in, 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 the, in future elections. So I think it's a good step to just try to clarify that process and remove that part of the problems we had in the 2020 election. All right, thanks. We will circle back around on that because that one is going to um, continue to be discussed. Adam, as always, thank you so much for joining us. It's like, you know, it's it's just this refreshing sit down with a professor who's paying attention to so many things and doing so from, you know, a shared worldview. So we really appreciate you briefing us in this morning on all these topics. It's an honor to be on here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. That's Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. All right, let's be sending up prayers today for firefighters across the western United States and around the world. Um, in California, this wildfire that is uh, in northern California, the Sierra Nevadas, just outside of Yosemite, it like doubled between Friday and Saturday. It doubled again on Sunday. It's 0% contained. It's raging wildly. It's described as explosive. Um, there are apparently 95 large fires um, burning right now across 15 states. So let's be praying for the people. Let's be praying for livestock. Let's be praying for wild animals. Let's be praying for firefighters on and on and on. Um, it may be hot where you are. It's not as hot as those places where there's literal fire raging. And none of those places, by the way, are as hot as hell, even though you're going to hear that around the culture today. Let's be uh, walking with the Lord in the cool of the day. Thank you so much for joining me in this conversation this hour. we got another hour up next. We're going to continue to bring the mind of Christ to bear on the matters of the day. For all of the notes related to this show, go to MyFaithRadio.com. Tons of great stuff there for you to sign up. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.